Yeah, what's up? Can we talk? Absolutely. What do you guys want to talk about? Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dad Talks. Just because you may not have had the greatest dad or you feel like a failure as a dad does not mean that's the end. You can still become a great dad today. You just need someone to lead you. That's what Dad Talks is all about. Just ordinary guys talking about life, relationships, work, and this thing called fatherhood in the pursuit of becoming awesome dads. On this episode of Dad Talks, I interview Ryan Dawson. Ryan has been a friend of mine for several years. Even though he's lived in a different state or country most of the time, we have stayed connected over the years. Ryan works as a pilot for a missionary organization based in Peru. Ryan and his wife, Genevieve, are some of the coolest people you'll ever meet. Both were raised in the jungles of Venezuela and now are raising their family of four in Peru, where they swim in a lake with piranhas. And if you think that's crazy, just wait to hear some of the stories Ryan shares from his own childhood. Ryan has faced loss in his life, so I brought him on to talk about those losses and how he processed through them. The first was the loss of his mother at an early age. The second was the recent loss of their child after Genevieve suffered a miscarriage. As you listen to the interview, I think you'll agree that the example that Ryan's dad showed him after loss of his wife and their mom is what helped Ryan in the years to come as he faced loss and hardship himself, not only as a man, but also as a dad himself. Before we get into this episode, just want to make a quick note of some of the issues we had with this episode with Ryan being in Peru. Connection was lost a few times and sometimes just wasn't good. So you hear some static uh, feedback from that as well as really loud crickets. Uh, Not much we could do about those guys. So I hope you can get past all those issues to enjoy my interview with Ryan Dawson on this episode of Dad Talks. Man, is it is it hot where you're at? Because it's freezing right now. Oh, my goodness, JT, you would curl up in a ball and just die right now dude it's 93 degrees in my house still right now oh that sounds awesome <laughs> it's, what's the temperature here except for that it's also 80 percent humidity 80 percent humidity man who cares oh uh-huh. i can't stand when people are like you know it's nice but it's your hunt holy cow 100 vehicles smash up on busy interstate winter storm yeah it's not it's not somebody's coming. getting rocked somewhere i know south of us they are Muscatine. It is feels like three, three degrees. (laughs) You know, and it's not that cold because it's got the humidity that helps it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, when you ever man up and come down and visit me, then I'll let you start talking smack. (laughs) Oh, it's I'm never going to visit you. It's scary. The jungle's scary. Dude, we were swimming the other day. Nope. Don't want to hear it. We were swimming the other day. And uh, I mean, you know, I grew up I grew up swimming in jungle rivers and I've never been tagged by anything. And we were swimming the other day with all the kids and stuff, and I was getting ready to get out actually. And I put my foot down and something bit the top of my big toe, like drew blood. I was like, yeah, that was not fun. It scared me. I was trying to get out without like startling the kids, you know, but it was like, all right, guys, time to get out. Uh, yeah, we catch, 
we catch piranha all the time in this little lake and I, it's, it's a lake. I think that's the difference. Like the, I was always in rivers and rivers with current and all that kind of stuff. I think it's just probably different. The, the uh, fish aren't as like, I don't know, secluded and hungry all the time. We're here. Yeah. It seems like they just, they get trapped uh-huh. and then there's the fish are a lot more active. It seems like here. Cause this is the first time I'd, I've been made to bleed here, but other times you, you, you like put your feet down, you see all these little fish come up and they start nibbling on your toes. <laughs> but yeah, I would be out as soon as there was <laughs> nibbling. I would like just on top of water, just like Jesus. I'm going to make you shave that beard dog. If you're not, if you're not a little tougher. Oh man. Like, I, cause this is what I think you get bit. And then that's when the products come and they just, eat the flesh right off your bones and you're dead. And that is the scary part with them. And they're definitely that kind here. So there's a couple of different kind of piranha and the red gill piranha are the ones that like school and swarm. And so that's immediate. Like when I got tagged in the foot and I was like, wait, I was like, shoot, man, that's not a good spot to be in. <laughs> Thankfully it wasn't that bad. You know, it was, it was bleeding a little bit, but um Anyways, yeah, I was definitely thinking about that. I was like, oh, now I'm bleeding. Now I'm in the water. And these little rascals are, <laughs> they swarm like crazy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, no. Like, you don't, you haven't helped at all to make me feel excited to come see you. It's yeah, hot. It's sweaty. It's humid. You have freaking fish that want to kill you in the yeah, spot that you want to be. There's sloths like all over the base, so you would love it. <laughs> Do they want to kill me? No, they're 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 nice. They're up in trees a bunch. Can you like get close to them and touch them, or is that a bad idea? Um, I mean, we there's been like we've caught a couple where they're crossing the road. I mean, the sloth can't. They don't have any teeth or anything. They they have claws, you know, so they can they they can't make you bleed or anything. But they you know they they have a strong grip on them so and i guess if they swipe you should be able to move because if not you should oh yeah they're, they're so slow no they can't they can't hurt you but they are wild and they all they have you know they literally have mold growing on them and bugs all over them and so they're they're better to look at from a distance <laughs> but yeah you see them there's there's probably i don't know there's probably like six or eight different ones just all always like just some sometimes right out of the house you can see or see them hanging off and you know super lazily scratching themselves and walking up the airstrip you can sometimes see them and yeah they're pretty cool <sighs> okay because then i had another um oh i don't know i was gonna ask you something about the jungle oh do you got the anacondas like you did at your in uh where you grew up i can't even think no i don't know venezuela yeah not that i've seen you grew up in venezuela yeah okay i can't remember if it's nicaragua or venezuela no i mean i i haven't been hunting here at all so this is like we're we're like seven or eight miles out of the city and so you're just a you're a lot you're by a lot more here than we ever were in venezuela yeah and with that you know there's there's laws and all that kind of stuff about hunting and so i i haven't even gone out i i have no idea what's really 
around in this lake other than there there are some indian communities um on the lake here really close just right across the way and i think they probably have you know killed killed most things off but it would be like the prime habitat for one for sure i mean this is like it's a nice nice big lake with all kinds of lily pad stuff you know floating around you know no current lots of lots of little fish so it would be like the prime the yeah, prime no, spot for one I'm, I'm not coming I'm last not. rainy season actually i did we saw a caiman right outside the house <laughs> what <laughs> a caiman alligator jeez but i tried to i tried to get him he was probably four feet long he was just he'd have made a good good eating but I like you went after him? him? Oh yeah, dude. Heck yeah. Okay, let let, let yeah, let's jump in. So I've got Ryan Dawson, right. uh Danny Boy, who's crazy. So yeah, you're we're already talking jungle stories. So yeah, tell me all your fun, crazy where'd you grow up, jungle life. Let's go back to little little Danny Boy. <laughs> yeah, so um Born and raised in Venezuela, South America, uh, way south Venezuela. Um, and I specifically Hold grew on, up in a... Up. Are you whistling? No, it's the crickets, probably. Uh, okay, so, well, I guess you should probably introduce... Go big, Ryan. Introduce yourself, wife, kids, and then we can, where you're at, and then we can go backwards from there. Sure, yeah. Uh, Ryan Dawson. Uh, married to uh, Genevieve or Jenny Dawson. And uh, we have four kids. Ashton is nine. Aria is uh, seven, almost eight. Beckham is six now. And Brendy is four. So four little ones, two boys, two girls. And uh, we're right now we're missionaries in, in uh, Peru, Pucallpa, Peru. I'm a missionary pilot. Uh, working with Sam Air South America Mission, and uh, we fly to to reach the indigenous communities and and help them with uh, lots of different ways, but primarily bringing the gospel and flying pastors and missionaries out to small communities where where they work and and work with different tribes. Um, I think in Peru, like this area, I know there's over thirty different people groups. And so we we help bring missionaries, local pastors and missionaries, expat missionaries out to work with those those groups. So, yeah, it's been been great. Um, Question. And then, sure. You 30 people groups. That means they all have their own like language and or what makes it a different people group. Yeah. So primarily it'd be a language difference. And then um, they're just, you know, they're different uh, for example, we have the Shipibo uh, tribe here right across the way. And then further up north, there's a totally different tribe, like the Shawi tribe. And and so, they're, yeah, there are different tribes, speak different languages and uh, live in different parts of Peru. Yeah. Do you are you learning all these different languages or how do you, or you just always have to use a translator? No. So most most of the people in these villages do speak Spanish. Uh And so the the gospel and and missionary activity has been here in Peru for, for a long time now. And so 
um, most of the people that, that we work with, um, well, and plus I'm a, you know, I, I'm the pilot. So I, I, you know, I help with the logistics. I'm not out preaching in these, in these villages. I'm flying, flying them usually there and then just turning around and coming back. Um, got it. Yeah. And then did you say, uh, talk about growing up? Yes. Cause I mean, so you and Ginny base, yeah, just you're in the jungle. Why? I mean, it's, you're in a crazy life. I don't know why anybody would choose it of getting eaten by alligators and piranhas. Yeah. So, um, my, both my wife and I grew up in missions. Um, my, my grandparents went to Venezuela, South America to work with the Yanomama tribe, uh, in 1953. And they were the, among the first to work with this group. Um, before they went there, there was, you know, no one who spoke uh, the Yanomama language. And so um, a, a contact had been made. Uh, they went with an organization that was then called New Tribes Mission. Now they're Ethnos 360. But um, my grandparents were in boot camp and uh, New Tribes Mission had sent word back that they had established contact with, with the Yanomama. And they wanted a, a young family to go and work with them. And, and so my, my grandparents volunteered and off to Venezuela they went. And um, they had 10 kids. My dad was number five. And uh, so my, my dad grew up in, in Venezuela. And then I was also born and raised uh, in Venezuela. And specifically, we were tribal missionaries. So um, we were really secluded. Uh, the closest town from us was. Uh, about 270 nautical miles straight line. Um, and we had, we had very, very, hold on, hold access. on, Mr. <laughs> Pilot. You're, I don't even, you might as well just say that in Spanish, 200 and something nautical miles. I, I don't even do the measurements you got over there. I'm an American. What's that? Feet <laughs> miles. I'm ignorant. I mean, a nautical mile is a little more than a mile. So I, I don't think it's quite 300 miles, but it's around there. It's about 300 miles, about 300 miles interior. And um, that, because where you're at too, right? It's not like, oh, we can just walk. You, I mean, it's jungle. So you always had to take your river, right? Or Correct. Yeah. So the, the only access in and out of, of the village I grew up in, um, was either a, about a two-hour plane ride uh, over nothing, nothing but jungle. I mean, you took off from the town closest to you, and you were two hours over nothing until, until you got to the little village. Um, the other way, you could go by river. Um, and just depending on the type of boat that you had, it can take anywhere from, you know, a week or some uh, to... I think, you know, you can, if you have a fast boat, you can do it in a couple of days. Um, but Venezuela borders Colombia, right, right. Kind of we're in that section Uh and because of the, the unrest in Colombia for many, many years, um, river travel became less and less of an option because of the the gorilla threat there. Uh Um, the, the terrorist, the drug fighting that was going on for many years. And so, um, yeah, there were no roads. So really the only option we had was, was a, the 206, the little Cessna 206, two hour plane flight into the village. And, um, yeah, so like I said, we, we both 
grew up in missions. My parents were tribal missionaries working there. And then um, Jenny's parents were um, with New Tribes Mission as well. And they were, her dad was a pilot. And so um, they did, Jenny grew up um, going to a boarding school that was, I don't know, 60 to 70 miles downriver from us. And so we, we got to know them um, just because we would, we would go down there and hang out with, at the school uh, every now and then to, to speak English. And in the village, my brothers and I, even though there was, I had cousins and aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff, uh, my best friends and, you know, to this day are Yanomama guys. And so in the village, we, we spoke really only Yanomama. Um, my, you know, my parents spoke it. Uh, my brothers spoke it and we kind of tongue in cheek say, although it is the truth, really the only time we'd, we'd switch to English is if the house was empty, which it rarely was, or we got in trouble. <laughs> like my dad, <laughs> my, my dad needed to get on us for something. He would, you know, do it in English. So <laughs> at least to, to spare us some shame, I, I'm sure to yelling at us in Yanomama, but, but yeah, so it was, it was, you know, it was a, it was a kid's, um, kid's paradise. You know, you had the Amazon jungle as your backyard and, uh, you, you know, we grew up hunting and fishing, you know, life was very different. We, we had a lot of things flown in from, from the airplane. You know, all of our fresh food was front flown in from the airplane, you know, rice and pasta, stuff like that was brought in, um, either by barge or, or the airplane. Um, but as far as meat goes, we, we primarily ate jungle meat. You know, we, we, when we wanted fish, we'd go fishing and when we needed other meat, we would go on long hunts and, um, kill, you know, the Anamama are, they, they depend a hundred percent on the jungle for what they eat. So they, they literally eat almost anything that moves, you know, anything from termites to specific ants to, you know, 30 foot anaconda, anything is on the menu. Um, and their livelihood depends on it. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun, fun childhood growing up, you know, hard, hard as well. Um, National Geographic calls the Yanomama one of the most fierce tribes left on the planet, one of the most primitive as well. And um, because we were so, con- so secluded, uh, the realities of that seclusion were always pretty evident when, um, you know, there was a medical emergency. Um, so even, even with Missionary Aviation, MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, and New Tribes Mission, both had airplanes up in that area. But if there was an emergency um, that happened in the village, you know, two hours there, two hours back, uh, our prep time, really, honestly, before an airplane could get to the village, if there was a life or death emergency was five to six hours, you know, that was before you could get anyone to a hospital. And so um, malaria was, is the one, number one killer uh, to the Yanomama there. And, and then their own personal warfare is a close second. And um, we experienced the realities of, of the seclusion and the medical need for a medical evacuation. Personally, when my mom uh, got sick with malaria and she, she had some sort of rare immunity to it for, you know, and I'm no doctor by any means, but 
Um, usually when people get sick with malaria, it's really hard on your body and, you know, fevers and shakes and, and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's not, it's not fun. Actually, I, I had COVID not too long ago and it was kind of a bad case of COVID and, um, you know, shaking uncontrollable fevers and all that kind of stuff with, with COVID when I had it, it reminded me actually a lot like malaria. Um, this malaria was just, it's just not, not fun. And so usually, you know, that you have it, um, you know, well, well before, but my mom had, like I said, some sort of rare immunity and we didn't know she was sick until she went down and just take a nap. She told my aunts, asked my aunts if they could watch us. We were, I was, uh, I was six years old. And my older, I have two brothers from my mom, my older brother, Josh, my younger brother, Stephen, Josh was eight and Stephen was four. So my mom had asked my aunts if, if they could watch us and she went to go lay down and she slipped into a coma and never woke up. And, um, we tried to, you know, as soon as someone knew something was wrong, we tried to call on the HF radio was the only, only means of communication we had out to the town to try to get someone up, up there with an airplane and, you know, being that far away, you can't fly at night in Venezuela where we were, because, you know, these are grass runways that are really short, you know, there's, it's not long paved runways with lights. So, um, you can, you couldn't fly at night. So I think by the time anyone outside of the village knew there was a problem, it was already too late for that day for the airplane to get up there. So we had to wait you know, for the next day. Um, and they finally got her out to, they did get her out to the, to the capital city of Caracas, Venezuela. Um, but by the time they got her to a hospital, it had already gone cerebral. Like you can, you can, malaria can get so bad. It it can go to your brain. Mm -hmm. And she, so she passed away in Venezuela from, from malaria. But so, yeah, it was a fun, fun childhood, but but hard, you know, the realities yeah. of, of why you're there set in pretty, pretty heavily. Yep. Yeah. How does, how did your dad, I mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, now, you know, or even for you, like if Jenny gets sick, like you can't do anything in that situation. Like, so how did dad, I mean, how did he handle it and how did he, or, you know, help you guys, or is there enough family that it all kind of just, it, that yeah, just so seems insane. My dad was actually, so when my mom died, my little brother actually almost died with malaria and my dad, like they all three almost died at the same time with malaria. Wow. I think about a week or I I can't remember the timing exactly, but when my mom was taken out shortly after my little brother got super sick and he almost died and my dad was actually out he was in Puerto Rico. He had just gotten to Puerto Rico and he came down with malaria. So that, that, you know, the jungle, as you can imagine, there's just tons of mosquitoes. So trying Mm -hmm. to control malaria, you know, like, but you know, here, even here in Peru, there, there are tons of mosquitoes, but very few of them have malaria or dengue, you know, like those types of things. Mm -hmm. In Venezuela, we, we had the misfortune of, you know, most of the time when you got bit, it was with an Anopheles mosquito and that carried malaria. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, growing up, I've had malaria probably 10 or 15 times. And, you know, it was, it was just honestly something that you, you just were you know, like, it, 
getting malaria was a once a year, twice a year thing. Like it was kind of a normal thing. Anyway, so my dad was in Puerto Rico um, and he, he fell into a coma too and trying to get back to my mom, you know, cause it all happened pretty quick. He almost died out in Caracas as well. You know, he, he was well enough to go and say bye to her basically. And then, and then she passed away. Um, but yeah, my, my family, you know, with my aunts and uncles, my older brother and I stayed with them, um, you know, until, until my dad could get back to us. And then he had, he told us what, what had happened. And, and, um, and so we, after, after she passed my, we, we spent a year in the, in the U S um, you know, just for my dad to, to gather himself and mm-hmm. try, I'm sure try to figure out what to do. Um, my dad is, is in many, many ways. Um, I mean, he's, he's my hero in, in more ways than one. And the biggest, the, probably the biggest area he's my hero is just spiritually, you know, he's, I, I don't know JT and, you know, and I, I know this isn't necessarily just a Christian podcast, but outside of Christ and outside of the Holy spirit working in your life. I don't, I don't know how you, you recover, you know, like without, mm-hmm. without the assurance of hope. Um, I don't know how people do it, but, yeah. but you know, my dad, my dad decided to, to go back down, you know, with three little kids and uh, no wife. Now he, he decided to, to continue working with the Yanomama. And so um, we grew up, we, and, you know, I, I think that's what my mom would have wanted, you know, on her tombstone. It's she, I, I don't know where it came from, but it was a saying that, that she would say all the time, but it, you know, it's not only is Christ worth living for, he's worth dying for. Mm. And that's written it, uh, among other things that's written on her tombstone. And so, um, yeah, my dad decided to go back down and, um, I think probably because of my mom's passing, we, we were, all three of us were super close to my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we had a, we, to this day, we, we know, um, sometimes because of communication issues, either here in Peru or there in Venezuela where he is, we can't always talk, but you know, when we can, we're, we're talking and hanging out, you know, whatever, catching up um, is as much as we can. So, yeah. And I, I think, or at least from the outside, like it makes sense for your dad to go back. Cause like you said, I mean, that's your fam, like family and everything is there to where, you know, to where some people are like, Oh, that's crazy. That's a single dad with his three kids. Like, why would you do that? But it's like, yeah, that yeah. was home. And you, yeah, you it was mission. <clears throat> it was, it was home. Um, you know, he, at the same time, he could have, you know, he, he could have made life in the U S he, there, there are opportunities for him to come back and, and do something other than mission work. Um, so yes, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. There's, there's family there and, and that is home where he grew up and all that kind of stuff. So it probably changes the dynamic a little bit for sure, but you know, even, yeah, I, you know, I, you try to think through, man, what would I do in those situations? Yeah. And, you know, it, man, it, it'd be hard. It, mm-hmm. It'd be really hard. Even, even having grown up in missions like we have, you know, we've only been here in Peru um, 
for for just over a year now we for the longest time we were trying to get to venezuela to to provide flight service for my my parents and family working in the indigenous groups um but that just it just never worked out because of po- politics and stuff like that but yeah. yeah i i don't know what i would do man you know i don't it again it just i think when when the lord puts you through stuff and has you go through uh, certain trials yeah i think he gives you the strength you need at that time mm-hmm. well that's what i was just talking to a a, a college age kid who's his struggles aren't even near that. It's just, you know, this, his high school sweetheart broke up with him, but you know, yeah. to that kid, it's rough, but that's, I was saying exactly what you said of, yeah, I don't know how anybody who's not, who doesn't have faith goes through hard things like that. I've got like, you know, cause that's what I said with my stuff. I'm like, there are days you're just mad and nothing makes sense other than God. I know you're in control. And that's, that's the only comfort, not only like that's, not the last resort, but that's the comfort you have because everything else is just awful. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't imagine going through all that without. Um, okay. So, so that happens. Dad goes back. So how old were you then? You were what? Nine, six, eight. Yeah. I was, I was probably seven, eight, uh, almost eight years old, probably. Yep. And then, um, my dad eventually did remarry, uh, remarried a, a Venezuelan lady who her family had long history of working with, with, uh, missionaries there. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, he did remarry. He probably got married when I was 10 or 11, somewhere around there. And, uh, yeah. Cause then did you, you never did high Did you do high school in the States? Cause that's what I can never um, remember. Cause you and Jenny met there and kind of started, I mean, right. Didn't your love yeah. story start there, but then yeah, she so came we, back. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So we, I, I never, I, the only school I spent that wasn't homeschooled was the year when my mom died. We, we did a year back in the U S I think uh-huh. I did second grade in, in the U S um, and then, uh, we did do a, a, we tried the year of boarding school, uh, when I was in Venezuela, but that is, that is just so hard. Um, and so far away from where mm-hmm. my parent, you know, my dad was. And so that, that didn't work, but so, yeah, I, I was homeschooled for everything. Um, and homeschooled, you know, kind of jungle school. <laughs> I, I didn't have the best <laughs> education growing up, you know, um, because my my stepmom was Venezuelan, um, we she wasn't able to help us much past probably seventh grade, mm-hmm. and so um, we were we were pretty self taught um, for all of like high school and stuff like that. Jenny, Jenny's because they were so in the early eighties. My my family separated from New Tribes Mission, and um, so because of that, we we didn't go to the school that New Tribes had. That was a, also a boarding school downriver from us. Mm-hmm. But Jenny, Jenny did, and so um, we would though. We we had really good friends down there. They're you know missionaries, uh, New Tribes missionaries, and and we we would go down there and spend the weekend 
just to be, cause we had, you know, the kids were super good friends of ours. And so we'd go down there and hunt and just hang out with them. And then just to hang out with kids who spoke English, right. Cause uh, you know, we, like I said, we didn't speak English and we didn't interact with American kids or, you know, sp- English speaking kids for, you know, hardly ever. And so to, to kind of keep up with English and those types of things, we would go down there and hang out. And so, yeah, um, Jenny and I knew each other from a very early age. Our parents knew each other, you know, when you're overseas and you're American and you're doing the same thing, you know, it doesn't matter what organization you are. Everyone's just super good friends and, you know, like long lost brothers and sisters, basically, because you share the common experience of being mm-hmm. Americans. And so, um, yeah, we, we knew each other super early on and then we, we dated, you know, air quotes dated, (laughs) um, (laughs) at a, at a, you know, a Christian new tribes boarding school, which, you know, basically, basically meant, you know, if you ever caught holding hands, you'd be suspended, you know, that type of thing. But, (laughs) but yeah, we, we liked each other, had a crush on each other, um, kind of, you know, high school and then, her, her parents, um, they had a medical emergency with their, with her little brother. And then just a lot of changes to Venezuela politically. They, they, they didn't come back down, um, for much of the high school years, but her and I kept in really good contact. Um, even, you know, long distance through email. Um, weirdly enough, my, I don't, I don't know who did it or how it happened, but there was a program that was, that could you could send and receive emails through a hand uh, HF radio. Oh wow! And so yeah, so we had no other communications other than email that would you know very 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 slowly you know no pictures allowed type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we kept in contact through the years via via that. Yeah. Because that would what been three years or was it all four years of? It was all four years of high school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like we, we dated, we dated in, yeah, she, I was like eighth grade. She was seventh grade. And then they left after that. Okay. And then, yeah, we, we didn't see each other for, for a long time, but we kept in good contact and stuff like that. And, and so that's uh, when right I, when she saw you four years later, it's like, Oh gosh, jungle has not <laughs> been good to you. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let her answer that, I guess, but <laughs> uh, we kept in super good contact and, and, um, because, you know, I, I was doing school. Um, I, I actually stayed a year after I, you know, again, air quotes, graduated high school. Um, I stayed a year in the village to just, fo- I, I wanted to go like on a bunch of long missionary trips, you know, cause we could take an airplane to get us to our village, but um, whenever we would reach out from our village to try to go out to other tribes, you know, there's, there's not airstrips everywhere. And so mm-hmm. most of the time it was river travel to get to these places. So two weeks, you know, three weeks gone traveling up the river, um, showing the Jesus movie, you know, encouraging believers that were there um, in these, these villages was something I never was really able to do growing up because of school and other things. And so, um, I, I was really feeling like the Lord was calling me to missions. And so I wanted to take the year after I graduated to, to just go on a bunch of missionary trips with my dad, uh, which was super awesome. And, and, and then Jenny and I are a year apart. So she says I planned this, but I actually didn't. 
So um, when I, after my year of staying in Venezuela, you know, doing all that traveling and missionary trips, I was ready to come back to the U.S. to start going to college. And because she was the year behind me, she was just getting ready to graduate. And mm-hmm. so um, we, you know, again, kind of linked up and, and uh, you know, we, because we had kept in such good contact, I think we both kind of wanted to see, you know, if there was still a spark. And so we, we decided to go to the year of Bible school um, first in Wisconsin. And, and we started dating about halfway through that. Yeah. Love. Dude, oh, I didn't realize you did a whole year with your dad. Like, that'd be awesome. Oh man, it was so cool. We Anaconda almost date my best friend um, on on one of these trips. I mean, it was it was. Is know, that the one was, where you you're in the canoe and you didn't check like you're supposed to? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Just yeah. tell that story because I still I don't believe it's it's crazy. <laughs> okay, so we we were we were um, yeah we were about two weeks into this trip. And we were as far away as we were going to go. And hold on, because that's the other thing. Your dad would be like, hey, you can go off on these jungle trips, right? And you would be oh, gone yeah. for, and, and there's no way to contact you. No, I mean, we, we, I started going on overnight. Again, it's just a different life, you know, like yeah. you're, what, what you're comfortable with is totally changes depending on where you grow up or what mm-hmm. you call normal, right? So because like hunting and all the hunting we, we basically did was at night and it was in floating down the rivers in canoes with lights, you know, shining up against the bank. Most of the animals we were after are nocturnal. And so, yeah, we were, you know, the first time I started going hunting like that was probably when I was 13, you know, like taking 12 gauges and 410, like it's much, mostly shotgun stuff that we had there. And we would take, you know, shotguns and machetes and you know headlights and you know say hey dad i'm i'm going here you know i'll be gone for two days you know if i'm not gone not back by day three come look for me type thing and Uh yeah there was no other communication and there's there was many many times growing up where like we were on you know we were three days away from home and a motor would break or something would happen. And uh-huh. we, we literally, we had to wait for my dad to come get us. And, you know, it's just it miserable, but there's no other way of, of communicating. You know, yeah. you, the only, the only thing dad could do was wait until I said, Hey, if I'm not back by Sunday or, you know, or whenever it was, you know, mm-hmm. maybe come look for me. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we had, we had lots of trips where we broke down and had to wait for dad to come bail us out. But, but yeah. Um, okay. Oh, so back to the story of, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were, we were as far as we were going to go and we wanted to show the Jesus movie to one more village. And um, we got to where the village had been the Yanomama are nomadic. And so they're, you know, they, they're constantly moving and um the guys, the guys, the Yanomama guys were with us said, Oh, it looks like they just moved. Let's go down to this other village to, to find someone who can tell us where their new village is. So we went and got these guys and these guys said, yeah, they're about six hours walk inland. Like they moved away from the river. They're, they're six hours in the jungle. And so they had, they agreed to like run in and, and tell these guys that we were at the, at the river to, you know, talk with them and stuff. And, 
So they went to go get these guys. We knew it was going to be like a day and a half, you know, of them being gone and before people came out. So we decided to make camp at their old village. And, you know, my, my dad and them were making camp and, you know, they said, Hey, Ryan, go fishing, you know, go, go, go find something to eat. Cause when you're gone for that long, you can't bring, you know, these little dugout canoes can only hold so much. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to go two weeks away, most of that stuff is fuel. And so you can't bring as much food as you need because there's just no room. And so you do have to rely on the jungle for it. So we went, we went to go, um, hunting and fishing and, uh, Chirino and I, my, my good friend Chirino, we're in a little 12 foot aluminum speedboat and we went 15 minutes up the river, you know, to, we, we, we found this little Island that had like a little rapids at the, at the head of it. And we didn't want to portage. So we said, Hey, Chirino, this looks like a good spot. So let's just go fishing here. And like, like you kind of hinted at before a good hunter or a good smart person, um, and we normally do this, but I think hunger just was driving both of us at that point. We, you normally get out and scout around and, you know, you, with your gun and you take a look at what is on this place before you just let your guard down, and start fishing. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do that. So I, I got my, my hand line out and I left my gun in the, in the boat, which is another mistake, my 12 gauge. And, uh, I said, Hey, Chirino, I'm going to go over here and start fishing. And Chino said, okay, he, he stayed in the boat. He was switching a lure, I think. And, um, he was kind of standing up, kind of bent over in the middle seat of this 12 foot aluminum speedboat. And, uh, I was catching fish like peacock bass and, and piranha were biting. And so I was, I was having a good time. I could see Chirino still, but he was probably, I don't know, hundred yards away. And, um, I was, I was fishing. I heard him yell my name and I looked over and I saw him looking at something, you know, but the fish were biting good enough for me that I was like, you know, the the Yanomam are incredible Bushmen. Like they can hear monkeys and turkeys and, and, you know, it takes them a second. They, they kind of pinpoint where they are and they'll take you to these, you know, this game. Wow. And so, um, I, I thought maybe I was like, well, maybe heard some, you know, monkeys or something or turkeys, but the fish were biting good. So I was like, if he needs me, he'll call me again, you know, that type of thing. So I threw my lure out one more time and he, he yelled my name one more time. And this time when I looked over, I don't know, probably 10, 20 yards away from him was this big, big snake. Um, it was in the water. Most of it was in the water. Um, uh, there was a decent portion of it out of water, kind of slowly going towards Chirino and Chirino just froze. Like he was frozen fear because of the snake. And I, it was just the Lord, I think, or adrenaline that, that kept me from kind of doing the same. Cause I, the immediate thing I did was look for my gun and it wasn't by me. It was in the, it was in the, the boat. And so I, I ran, I was, you know, wrapping up my line and I, I wanted to throw my line by the snake to distract it so that I could, I could, you know, get Chirino to safety and try to shoot it. And uh, so I threw at it and it worked, you know, it, it splashed by it. Snake was distracted for a second. I literally just pushed Chirino down into the boat cause he was scared stiff. And, um, by this time I was creating enough commotion. I reached for my gun and I always have buckshot, you know, just in my 12 gauge and I reach and I aimed 
at the snake and it was just under the water. I could see it. It was probably, I don't know, man, 10 feet from me. And it was this massive, I mean, I, it was, it was so thick around. I, I, I had to like keep blinking to see what I was looking at. Cause it looked like a log uh-huh. and I've tried to shoot things underwater before and it never goes well. Right. And I knew that with a snake this big, I would have to hit it in the head. And it, I, I sat there, you know, just kind of waiting for it to do something with, you know, aiming at it. And it, it slowly just kind of backed off and, and went into the, the depths of the, the, the water. And um, it was the biggest snake I had ever seen. And the reason I know it was, it was at least over 25 feet probably. Because later on that night, so Chirino was okay. You know, we kind of regathered ourselves and said, hey, we were dumb. Why didn't we do this? And we, I, we actually sat there for three hours because I wanted to kill that snake. You know, that, that mm-hmm. snake is a ton of meat for the people. And, and just, you know, I, I, it was huge. I wanted to get it. And um, later on that night is when I had killed my biggest one I've ever killed. And it was 22 and a half feet long. And the girth of the one that I had killed and the head size was way smaller than the snake that was over, you know, trying to get Chirino. Jeez. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that was crazy. Um, it was, you know, yeah, it, things could have, things could have gotten really bad. Um, a snake that big, you know, if it would have, if it, it was well within striking distance of Chirino when I got it, you know, snake that big could have got him. And those, those things, I think the, the anaconda is the, the largest snake in the world. I know it's the heaviest, like it just, it might not be the longest boas maybe get longer, but these things just weigh a ton. And so, you know, that the, they're a constrictor and, and when you're in water like that, you know, you would drown probably before it actually constricted you, but, Mm-hmm. It just, man, it just, it could have been so, so bad, but yeah, praise the Lord. It didn't turn out that way. I don't know why I asked you to tell, like, I'm anxious just listening. And I've heard that numerous times, but I, <laughs> oh, it just makes me so nervous. It's just like you said, yeah, I've just, oh no, I'm calm and just, oh. I mean, you definitely, so having, you know, 10 years now removed of being and living in there and doing those things. Yeah. Um, you know, I would be, I went back to visit in 2019 and I, you know, I could tell, like, I was just, I'd been gone enough that, that, yeah, you, you kind of get down there and you're like, you know, eyes wide open thing where mm-hmm. you're just, you're like, holy cow, <laughs> you know, like, what are, what are we doing? You know, that type of thing. Well, I went on some fishing trips when I was there visiting and I could just tell I was, you know, I was, I don't know. I was, I was having to just gather myself more than I thought, you know, mm-hmm. hunting at night, getting spooked by something dumb, you know, that type of thing where when I was living there growing up, you know, th- none of that stuff ever, ever scared me, but yeah. Uh, perspective. Uh, let's go to happiness. So uh, <laughs> you're in, cause you're in the States, you did Bible college, you, then you ended up, did you do Moody in Chicago and then out to Washington? No. So I, I did just Moody Bible 
uh, well, Moody Aviation in Spokane, Washington. Yeah, I, I didn't do okay. anything through the through the Chicago campus. Okay, so um, yeah, yeah, because you were there for a while. Yeah, you're how many years? I mean, because you waited there, then you went back to Nebraska and waited, and then you finally. Yeah, so we we um, uh, let's see, I we went up to um, Moody by Moody Aviation. Um, uh, in Spokane, Washington in 2011. And we wound up, we wound up, uh, staying in Spokane for seven years. Cause after I graduated, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in missionary aviation and, um, and, and Venezuela just uh, for anyone who's follow po- follows politics, um, Venezuela's politically just started to really implode in 2005 and six. And, um, like I said before, the objective was to go back to Venezuela. So we were, you know, missionaries raising support. Um, I was a, after graduation because of the politics in Venezuela, it just never allowed us to go back. So I, I did, uh, I worked with another mission organization called Spokane Turbine Center at that time. And I was a flight instructor there, uh, training missionary pilots how to fly an airplane called the Quest Kodiak. So I was, a, I was an instructor there for wound up. It wound up being about four years there. Um, and then um, even though Venezuela still was just not, not, you know, changing really. Um, so even though I, I grew up in, in South America, you know, Venezuelans speak Spanish, but because we were so secluded, I never grew up speaking Spanish. We only, we only spoke the tribal language. Mm-hmm. And so um, we knew that, before we could go to Venezuela, we would need to do some sort of Spanish training, you know, Spanish school. And so um, we left Spokane in 2017, November of 2017, to head down to there's a Spanish school in Costa Rica. And so we did a year in Costa Rica. And then um, we came back to the U.S. And uh, let's see, that had been basically 2019. It was December of 2018 when we got back. Um, from Costa Rica. Yeah. And then we, we stayed in Nebraska kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. Cause at one point Venezuela, like the, there was a, a new president who had declared himself president. I mean, not to bore anybody with all these politics, but um, it was looking like Venezuela was maybe taking some steps to towards change and getting rid of this dictator that they that's there. And it, it all kind of fizzled out, unfortunately, but we, we, we stayed in Nebraska a year, slowly working on paperwork stuff that we needed, and then just waiting to see what was going to happen with Venezuela. And um, the purpose, I told you, I went down to visit in 2019, and that was, that was largely to see like, okay, we've been trying for so long to, to get to Venezuela <clears throat> to, to provide air service what are the realities there? You know, like my family is still there working and because they're tribal, you know, like they're, once they get up into the tribe, it's, they're pretty much out of the chaos of the country and the unrest, Mm -hmm. but because an airplane and, and all that kind of stuff, like it's just different. Like the airplane would have had to have been stationed out in town. And there's just a lot of government work that needs to be done with, with aviation stuff. And, um, when I had gone down in, in 2019, Venezuela was like fresh out of Avgas, which is the fuel that the, the two Cessnas use, which had never happened before. And so 
we just we just kind of felt like the Lord was uh, closing the door for us to get there at that time. Um, and so we started to look around, you know, we, we've done all this training and we're ready to go. Um, and so we, we found South Sam air, um, here in Peru and we, we decided to come on loan to them, um, for now. Yeah. Okay. Cause did Ginny, cause I forgot about Costa Rica. Cause did Ginny, did they speak Spanish or were they since on the base they mostly did English? Jenny, so because her dad was a pilot with New Tribes, and he was the head pilot, the chief pilot, and so they were stationed out in the town of Puerto Ayacucho, and so she did have more Spanish. Um, she was exposed to more Spanish than I was. Oh, okay. Uh, but she, you know, that was kind of as a kid, and you know, better part of ten years went past without her really speaking it. Okay. And so we both enrolled in Costa Rica and we both did the year there. And it was, you know, for her, she was, she had a lot more to build on than I, I probably did. Yeah. Okay. That's um, right. That's yeah. Yep. I can hear your jungle life now. Some of it. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, Lots I just of- sitting here and just crazy of how that far apart we are that, yeah, I'm like in my basement with jeans and cold and you're probably sweating and just dying that it's <laughs> 93 100 degrees like it's crazy but that, that's yeah, what i love i, I usually have like we're we're pretty good at keeping fans where we need them yeah uh to you know like air circulation is key but because i don't want to distort the microphone i don't have any fans on so you're welcome jt okay we'll wrap I'm it up sitting here <laughs> That's, no, that's I'm kidding, dude. Dedication. Do you? Yeah. I mean, because you're closer. I'd just be like, I'd be in just shorts all the time, just half naked. Oh yeah, I, like yeah. it's just hot. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's so hot. You you take a shower and then you basically do as as little as you need to before you get into bed, so you don't start sweating again. Yeah. Um. Actually, tonight tonight isn't isn't very bad. Let's see, it's it's down to eighty right now. Um, oh so yeah, don't it, complain. You don't need a fan. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's not bad. There's there's been nights. So we have we have an AC in a room, and people here call it the cold room. Mm-hmm. And there's there's nights, man, where we're just like we give up and we just throw the kids all on you know, like mattresses on the ground and we, we just all pile into the cold room and sleep the night there because it's just it's just so unbearably hot but <laughs> but yeah you know i think i'd take the heat over the cold any day though yeah. um not not being able to feel your fingers you know being out in super cold weather just is just yeah. not fun I, yeah. i'd take the sweat yeah and because here i fly um float plane stuff seaplanes um, I actually even fly in shorts, which is nice. So it's, yeah, I thought you're struggling. So, <laughs> so then take us, I mean, basically I'm just thinking your, your newsletter you sent out cause you guys, yeah, you showed up. So now thinking of you as the missionary dad with your kids, you guys show up and then, yeah, you get COVID, you get everything. I mean, so yeah, how do you, how do you, how are you navigating that and what, did you take from your dad that now you're getting to use or how's that impacting 
you now where you're um, at? Yeah. So I, people, people have said, uh, well, you know, going to going overseas isn't, isn't really a big deal for you guys. Cause you grew up overseas. And, um, I, I'll be honest. I even thought that, you know, I, I thought we had, and we, we do, I, you know, we probably do have a leg up on most people just because we're used to the heat and the humidity. You know, we grew up with that. Venezuela was super. Yep. We lost Ryan. There it is. The internet's gone. Dude, I, that's totally fine. Uh, okay. So yeah, we can, so my, yeah, I thought of you just kind of you, you and the jungle oh, yeah. leading your yeah. family, and then we can do the wrap up questions before you die. I mean, internet dies. Yeah. So I, I, I was just saying it's two totally different things of, you know, being here as a parent, but, um, it, you know, it's, it's been, it's been really cool actually. Um, it's, you know, being here was, was a big stretch for, for the kids uh, Ashton was eight years old when we came and the others, the others, you know, there's, there's an age of your kids where they're, they're, they seem to be content wherever mom and dad are type thing. Mm-hmm. Ashton was starting to come kind of out of that where he, he, he really struggled a bit to, to make the transition because he wanted to be, you know, in the U S and you yeah. know why he, he loved the, he loved the cooler weather. You know, why is it so hot here? Why are we here? Um, I want to be with grandma and grandpa, that type of thing. And so, um, he was, he was a little bit harder for the transition, but I I think having grown up overseas and, and, you know, gone through that myself, um, obviously allowed us to, to help them, you know, talk it out and, and, you know, tell them that it's okay that they're feeling those, those things, but um, you know, we're here for a reason and, and to share, share our heart and the reasons behind it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think you asked, you know, what did I take away from my dad? I think my dad really modeled that. Well, um, he, he modeled, you know, we, we never, um, especially having lost losing my mom, we never felt like when, when we needed something, we were struggling with something, my dad was really good to take the time, no matter what was going on, to to meet the need, right? Mm-hmm. So we never felt like my my dad was doing ministry over us, like in the sacrifice mm-hmm. of us. And that that's it's hard, you know, even even now it's something I'm always having to make sure I'm checking myself on because the temptation is, you know, like, man, we're here for something and we're trying to help people and, and especially doing pilot, you know, aviation stuff is just constant nonstop uh, work that, that happens. And, but my having watched my dad modeled, what it means to, to really n- not only do ministry well, but to take care of your family. Well, um, I, I feel like it's been, you know, Jenny and I have, have had a, that different perspective of, you know, it's really important to meet the kids where they're at and what they what they need help with, and and so yeah, I it's been it's a big transition, but but um, my dad really modeled transition well. And I think because you spoke about ministry and even just thinking for work, like yeah, you can you know it, let, you know here I could leave, I go to work nine to five and leave like your life is your work 
right? Essentially. So, I mean, I'm guessing you guys kind of have to have some boundaries or ways to deal with that. So it's like it, like you said, where it's not just dads working all the time. Yeah, there's home. there's always there's always something going on. So we we live out of town just a little bit on a base because we have the airplanes and stuff like that. So we on when we're not flying, we're maintaining the base. And so yeah, there's always stuff happening. Um but I for the for the most part everyone here gets gets it too right so they they mm-hmm. get that there's sometimes there's just days when when the family's just not not doing too hot and you need to take a little bit longer lunch or you know wh- whatever it is yeah. the, the team here is pretty cool and and we kind of cover each other's back with that when when someone needs to do something you know at home or whatever take a little bit extra time so that it's been cool to to be here but but yeah you do have to set boundaries you know um, if, if it's not, you know, now with digital stuff, you know, it's, there's always emails to be answered, supporters to, to contact and, and catch up. And it, it, if you're not careful, you can, you know, as soon as you get home from work, there's pressing enough other things that happen where, you, you know, you could spend your whole rest of the evening just on a phone or something. And, and it, you know, we have to put up those barriers to make sure that, you know, the kids feel like they're they're part of this and that's really important do uh do supporters have to reach a certain level of giving for you to actually call them i you know i just i i wouldn't say that's me you know i'm just i'm asking for a friend who is giving <laughs> and uh you know doesn't doesn't get anything but anyways um huh that's interesting you call your we other talk supporters. all the time man what are you what that's, are you talking about when fine. you got that's covid whatever. we basically nursed you back to health from peru it's true. How, I am. I am glad I called <laughs> just because you went through it, and Jenny being a nurse of like, no, no, yeah, no, we don't. we were like ten steps ahead of you. We said, yeah, get this, like, get that, take that. No, we 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 nursed you back to health. On that, because I forgot, I have so I because I know people like talked about losing their taste and stuff. Oh man, like, I I could not taste anything. But okay, so was it like you could eat, let's say, an orange, but you wouldn't? It just was plain. So here's perfect example. Um, we were told with COVID, like take a ton of vitamin C. Yep. And um, someone brought over vitamin C, and I thought Jenny gave me vitamin C, so I I put it in my mouth, start chewing, and my mouth, like my mouth was you know like salivating, like I could feel that part. But she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like chewing up the vitamin C. She's like, "Those aren't chewable," and I'm like, "Well, it tastes fine to me." So like she was so weirded out by because you know like normally you can't chew up a non chewable vitamin C like they're they're terrible, and so she she didn't lose she had COVID too but she didn't lose her taste so she took one and put it in her mouth and like immediately spit it out and I was just sitting there like chewing and and like I said I could tell my mouth was watering but I had no sour taste at all. Like it was, it was crazy. I could drink coffee and not, you could give me coffee, water, anything. I wouldn't be able to tell you it was coffee. See, like I, didn't, was, I didn't get that, but I had what some people to where it screws something up in your sinuses to where yeah. like I would eat stuff, but it tasted, it sounds like rotten meat and like <laughs> smells everything like would just smell like, cause I remember like we we're painting 
Cause I kind of thought like I, I had toothpaste and I was like, gosh, it just tastes like, like sulfur, or like charcoal kind of like, it was just weird. So I thought it was toothpaste. I tried a different one. I was like, maybe that's not it. Well, then I finally realized something was wrong. Cause I'm painting and I'm like, I'm just going to te- like, I would smell the paint, but I couldn't smell the paint. Like it was just, I, I couldn't smell anything. And so I, that's crazy. Somebody talked like some vitamin you could take that helps, which has gotten a little better. But there's still some things that like taste. Just... Oh, you still have that residual right now? Oh yeah, like they're like I even just ate a banana the other day and it didn't taste right. It's still there's still some things that are just like, ugh. Yeah, so I lost my taste. Maybe like I started like getting a scratchy throat, and then you know this was this was like when Delta was going around, so people were really cautious still here. Yeah. Um, and you know, rightfully so, whatever. But I, so I was asked to not come to work until I, you know, just to see what, what, what it was going to be. And then I lost my taste and I was like, sure enough. Yeah. Like don't come to work. <laughs> you have to quarantine all this stuff. Um, but I, so I lost my taste for about three weeks and I, I think it was, yeah, maybe three, maybe four weeks before it was normal. Um, but it, yeah. And so my, my sense of smell too, I did lose as well, but now everything is is normal i think i don't, I don't have any at least as far as taste and smell normal yeah like, as far as <laughs> but you were like because you you were laid up weren't you like didn't you oh, were in some it hot. was it was not fun i mean i was yeah i was i was hurting like you know fevers i had fever like high 101 102 degree fevers non-stop like i taking Tylenol and, and, um, ibuprofen and stuff like that. Like I was having to cycle through those almost constantly to just try to keep my fever down. Um, and then when I didn't have a fever, I would go into like these, it was, I kid you not like uncontrollable, like chill shakes. And like here in this 90, you know, whatever degree weather I was like under a blanket, like shaking, crazy shaking. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I, my, my oxygen, blood oxygen levels got down to low eighties. And so I had to go on oxygen for a night. Um, but thankfully it, yeah, I I started to turn the corner there, but, but yeah, it was, it was tough. Like I said, it it reminded me a lot of, go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just saying tough that you just moved down too as well. Like, it's not like, yeah, it was like, it was like my first, you know, let's see we got here end of january this was march like this second week of march that that we were just laid up the kids you know the kids got it 24 hours later they were like fine they ran ran like low-grade fevers but they still we still all had a quarantine and um jenny 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 got it too not quite as bad but like we, we literally, you know, we, we won no parenting awards during that time because we we were so tired all the time and just had oh, no, yeah. no motivation to do anything. Thankfully people would like help us and bring us some meals. So like we'd get up and feed the kids and they basically watched TV for two weeks straight. Like yeah. at that point we were, we were both just so sick. We were like, as long as they stay alive. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a win, right? And yeah, so yeah. My, the kids, the kids remember that time as like the best, you know, couple weeks ever. And we were like, yeah, we almost, <laughs> we almost. It was awesome. Can. Yeah, you guys were dying, yes. but we got to watch TV. 
Ashton says that he's like, that was the best. We got so much electronics. <laughs> Thanks, son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks for being really concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, so then oh, I don't even know how long it is, but I, I just curious because so I had another friend going super deep for you and we can do whatever that they struggled with infertility mm-hmm. and just kind of processing through that. And so I didn't know about you and Jenny losing a baby until your newsletter. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, walk, how, how do you process that? How do you guys get through that? How do you as a husband helper in that? Yeah. So there's, Come in, come in here. Like our first people have told us we've gone through more things in our first year than they've gone through in like their 10 or whatever, 15 years of being here. Like it was, it was a rough, rough start for us. We, um, yeah, so we got COVID. So actually right before COVID, not, not to get too graphic or anything, but Jenny, Jenny was starting to bleed in pretty pretty heavily like we Mm -hmm. we couldn't figure out what was happening with her and um right kind of as like it was getting kind of bad and so we're we're looking at what to do you know like the the healthcare systems here just are not very good you know Mm -hmm. like you you don't want to go into a place (laughs) if you don't have to and if anyone knows my you know my wife is very strong she she, you don't know that she's going through something unless it's really bad. And it got to where like, I was, you know, she was letting me know that something was wrong. So we were, we were trying to look, you know, to see what we could do. We were thinking maybe we had to go to Lima, you know, the, the capital city, cause healthcare is a little bit better there. But then we, we got COVID and like, I, I was, I just like lost my taste. And then she was, you know, she still was feeling okay. But it's anyways, there's this weird time where, um, she, she had to go into, to get this procedure done because we, we found out that she, she had miscarried. And so processing the miscarriage with COVID kind of made it to where we really didn't talk about it a ton, mm-hmm. you know, because we were both just so sick and trying to figure out what, what was happening with COVID. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was something that we, we talked about, you know, we, we weren't trying to have another kid. And so it was, it was a surprise pregnancy. Um, but I think the impacts regardless of, you know, when it kind of, when the dust settled and when it was, when we both could like, okay, let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah. It, it was, it was a lot to process, man. You know, we, yeah, just, just knowing that you lost, you know, she was, I think we figured out she was about 10 weeks pregnant or so. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, as, as a husband, you, especially with, I think the male, the male, I don't know, we, we want to fix things, right? Like yeah. we, we get stressed and we can't, and you know, it, it's, it, gets pretty humbling because at some point you just can't like, there's no words to say, there's nothing you can do. There's no one to call, you know, like you just, you just kind of have to surrender. And, and, you know, again, the Christianity side of it is, is, you know, through prayer and, and seeking the Lord and, you know, through devotionals and just reading of scripture. 
um, I think is what, you know, what we both just leaned on to, to process and, and mourn the loss as well. And, um, but, but, you know, I guess then pick yourself up and, and move on, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we've, we've given it to the Lord and, you know, there's, there's a hole there for sure. But, um, yeah, I think, I think we, we've been able to, to process it now and, and, um, obviously it wasn't, wasn't something that we wanted, but to have happened, but yeah. Cause I think, well, thinking about that and then just your life and a lot of stuff you're, you've been saying of, and I mean, I have for myself of just you as a husband, um, you know, with your dad, with being there, being sick, like learning that less, that life truth, whatever, like you're not in control of anything Yeah, and having to just, like you said, there's nothing you can do to fix it or whatever. And that's where, yeah, it goes back to the faith of like, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not a crutch. It's not like, well, you know, here I can at least do this, but it's, it is the only thing you have sometimes where you're like, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I don't know how it's going to be fixed, but I at least know there's this one steady thing, but you know, we can rely on. You know, I think as, as missionaries, sometimes you get to, you get to watch God show up in some pretty, pretty cool areas, right? Like in, in the U S life is, you know, we lived there for 10 years, you know, being married and um, you know, I'm obviously this isn't a blanket statement, but like life can be pretty comfortable there. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you need medical help, you know, we have the best healthcare system in the world, you know, like you, you, you trust the doctors, you trust, you know, the, the hospital you're going to even super small town, Imperial, Nebraska, right? Like that, that medical system, that little hospital there is probably leaps and bounds cleaner for sure. And way more capable than most of the things that we have here. And I'm not trying to bash Peru in mm-hmm. any way, but when, when you're here in a third, third world, uh, you know, developing country, and something like that happens, um, you, you learn to just, you know, it, it very quickly becomes, man, Lord, I can't fix this, you know, and let controls an illusion anyways, you know, I I think, you know, what, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. We, we tried to do our best to prevent things. Right. And you, you, at the end of the day, want to know that you, you did the best you could with, with whatever happens, but you know, at the end of the day, prayer becomes, you know, like some, some people say, well, all we can do now is pray. Yeah. And when, when you're on the mission field, that becomes the first thing you do. Mm. Um, because you, you are, you know, so many times, unless the Lord does something, um, you know, it, it's pretty, a pretty helpless, uh, look forward, I guess. Yeah. And, but even, even with Jenny's, you know, even with Jenny's, you know, cause she had had DNC, you know, for the miscarriage and, um, it was an emergency thing cause she was, she was bleeding so heavily. So she had to go into this clinic and, you know, they, they didn't even knock her out for it. You know, she said, you know, everything was just super unclean, nothing yeah. was sanitized and, and, you know, she was, yeah. Anyways, um, but you know, everything turned out okay. And, you know, we did the best we could with where we were and, and, you know, 
God showed up in amazing ways, you know, not even just in the community that we're with. Right. So like, it was just, I couldn't go because I was, I was sick with COVID Mm -hmm. and, but other people stepped up and took Jenny to the hospital. And, you know, so it was, it was just cool to see God's people rally and, you know, literally be the, the, the body of Christ, you know, helping, helping in a time of need. It was, it was pretty cool to, to, to see all of that work together. Yeah. That's yeah. You know, you mentioned that in your newsletter, then talking to you guys about it is pretty cool that yeah they helped out. But it's like you said, of I mean, that's, that's all, not again, not in a bad way, but that's all you've got to where, yeah, you come so close right. of going, we have to take care of each other. And yeah, like you said, there's, there's a lot of truth there. You could speak to the American church of you're too comfortable and we don't rely on each other to that extent. You know, we still have enough of the American way of, ah, I can handle it or we can, you know, can do it on self individualism. Well, and Which it's, I- it's, it's not even just, I mean, it is a mindset too, but, but you know, it, it's human tendency to want to better things. Right. So, mm-hmm. and so when you literally do have the capability to, to get the best healthcare in the world, of course you go and seek it out. Yeah. And so it's, it's more of just like, we, we tend to, we're we're able to do enough. We're advanced enough in the U S where, um, I, you know, I think that God does the same miracles, whether or not he gets the credit for it, you know, we would, we would say, well, the doctors, you know, and when, when a lot of times I think it's above the doctors, you know, things that happen, Mm -hmm. But, but when you're here, you definitely get to look and say, man, that was, that was a pretty cool miracle. You know, that was, that was really, that was the Lord showing up there, you know, that type of thing. It's just a lot more evident, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Nope. That makes sense. I, I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we can do the rapid fire questions now, if you want. Wait. Uh, okay. So favorite I try. Th- I was trying to think this myself. If I could know your answers, favorite TV or movie, Dad? Uh, TV or movie, Dad? Yeah, or you know, movie, you know, father son movie thing. I don't know. Or you can just uh, say your favorite movie. I don't know. I, I I was thinking about it. I mean, I don't know. The Gladiator is probably a super high one for me. I really I enjoy the Gladiator. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure of a movie TV dad scenario. I was trying to think of something to come up. He's a dad in there. That's perfect. I I was just going to say, although he is like, you know, the binges, yeah, he was, yeah. (laughs) He avenges him. Father to a murdered, murdered, yeah. Husband to a murdered son. Yeah. 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 Backwards father to a, yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what I, I, the gladiator is pretty high. Okay. Up yep. That's a good one. So then what, what hobby can you like, do you have hobbies? What do you, I mean, other than your flying guy hobbies that you can do down there or what keeps you from going sane? insane? Um, you know, we, I haven't really been able to get, uh, hobbies here except for that. I, I do love fishing mm-hmm. and the kids, the, the boys usually, and I go fishing, uh, quite a bit. We try to go fishing here. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's always something we don't have a, you know, we don't have a boat, so 
Um, we're kind of limited to where we can go uh, just because of the port access and all that kind of stuff. But um, we really enjoy fishing. And then um, I, I really enjoy like RC stuff, like uh, our, RC airplanes and, and oh, yeah. Ashton. My oldest, my oldest son is really into like RC stuff as well. So we got him, a, he wanted a boat for his birthday. So we got him an RC boat that he cruises the lake on. It's just super cool. Nice. Um, do you, you know, you actually catch fish with your kids? I feel like anytime I've ever gone fishing with you, I've <laughs> your your master skills here do nothing for me. No, man, this is this is back in my neck of the woods now. The, how do you I, how do you take a piranha off the line though? You just bite it in the head and before it bites you and you just take it off. You bite it in the head. <laughs> no, I, I mean, so the Yanomama, that's how they do it. They, they'll, they'll take it and they'll bite it in the, in the, in the upper, upper part of the head. Uh-huh. It kills it. Um, but these ones, these ones are small. I mean, and you can grab them. So like the piranhas, they're, they're not super thick. They're, they're wide. And so yeah. you just, you just gotta be careful and not put your finger in its mouth and, and you can take it off the hook that way. But, yeah, so we we go dig worms and we catch these little bait fish and then we you know cut up the bait fish and start catching piranha. It's pretty cool. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, awesome. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. so fill fill in the blank. A dad is. Um, I there's probably many many things. Um, I I think a dad is is a leader, and a leader in, in a lot of, a lot of different areas, you know, spiritually, um, showing, you know, showing what a man is supposed to be like. I think one of the things that we've lost in our culture is, um, a dad tries to maybe be too many other things, right? So Mm. sometimes we're so busy trying to be our kids' best friend or, or some other thing outside of the house. When, when I think really first and foremost, um, a dad is a, as a leader and he, mm-hmm. he, he models that for, for his family. So, yeah, I don't know if that's corny or not, but that was, that was the thing when you sent me those questions, that was the thing that just kind of came in, coming back, back to my mind. And, you know, I think my yeah. dad, looking at my dad, if, if someone said, man, what, what is your dad? I would say he's, he's a leader, you know, like he, mm-hmm. he, he modeled it. He taught us, he, he he showed us what it was like to be a man showed it what it was like to be a father and a husband and uh, you know, a spiritual leader as well. And so I, I think in all those areas, just the term leader is what mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. I like, I think that's good. And like what you said that it's not, yeah, what you're doing on the outside are different roles, but right. Focusing on that. That's good. Uh, what's the best piece of dad advice you've ever received? Um, the best piece of dad advice I I've received was, um, enjoy, enjoy them while they're young. Um, life, life happens so fast mm-hmm. and you know, like the, I, mean, I can't, I can't even believe I'm 36 years old and I have a nine-year-old kid. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't even like my brain just doesn't even process that, you know, like I remember as growing up, you'd always hear these old fogies. Oh, when I was your age or when I was, and I, and you know, here I am now, like the guy saying that basically. Right. Yeah. And, 
And so like, I, I've, I've appreciated, although it's so simple and it should be kind of a, of course, you know, enjoy them, but um, enjoy them while they're young because they just, they, you know, they grow up so fast Mm -hmm. and, and already, you know, like I'm, so I, I really try to be diligent and, and be um, intentional with just loving them at this stage, at every stage that the kids are at, just taking the time, you know, my, my little girl is still four years old and she still needs help, you know, going to the bathroom. And although it's easy to kind of, when you're busy, it's like, good grief, Brendy, you know, how old are you? Can't you wipe yourself? That type of thing. You know, it's, it's, I, I have to stop myself when I start to whine a little bit and just say, man, she's, she's going to be, she's going to grow up so fast. And, and, you know, one day I'm going to long to have my little girl who, who still needs me to help her, you know, that, that type of thing. So, yeah. Um, I, I really appreciated that, that advice was to mm-hmm. just enjoy them, enjoy them where they're at, enjoy them while they're young. Yeah. And I think that I definitely have that too, of what you said, enjoy them where they're at and not going, guy, I wish you were one. Yeah, walking. I wish you were two, or like you said, I wish you were done wiping your butts. Yeah, yeah. Now you're like, because that's the other day I was trying to think back, even with like Juliet going. I don't remember much of you as a baby. Like, granted, there's a lot happening during that time, but even just going, oh yeah, like it's or even G as a, you know, she's eight, going, oh, oh man, it happens so fast. Yeah, I mean, it happens so fast, and we have four and they're all two years within each other and, you know, from each other, you know, separation. And yeah, it's, it's crazy how fast, how fast they're growing up. And, you know, we don't even have, we have, we, we have no, no babies and diapers anymore. That's just, you know, for the longest time we were like yeah, diapers diaper. and wipes everywhere. Uh-huh. And now, diaper bag. And yeah, <laughs> now there's no diapers or wipes anywhere in the house, but. And I finally had the moment because somebody said, you know, you'll miss babies and snuggling. I'm like, no, I'm not like to where I'm like, no, I do. I miss, you know, because Juliet will still snuggle. But yeah, that of just them as just little kids is. Oh, dude. Yeah, I so miss it. I so miss it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't miss the other stuff, but it's like, I love I love having a little I I miss having a little little baby to snuggle with or. Yeah. So yep. precious at that age. Yeah. Uh, what brings you pride as a dad? Um, one of the things that has brought me the most pride was it has been watching the kids um, go from just hearing. Uh, so again, just is, you know, religious stuff, I guess, but um going for watching the kids going from just hearing and, you know, like when, when you read the kids Bible stories or tell them, tell them, you know, something biblical, you don't always know if they're grasping it. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's been so fun to watch Ashton, my oldest, especially really start to, to think and make it his own. Um, where just, just the other day, he was, he was talking about um, how he wants to get baptized, like all, all on his own. Um, 
you know, something that he's been thinking about, been asking a lot of questions. And, and I, I think there's, there's just, there's, there's, you know, there's satisfaction with a lot of things the kids do, but um, it's been the most satisfying and joyous thing. I think for both of us to just watch the kids grow Mm -hmm. and, and uh, ask questions and, and, start to really understand and grasp these concepts that we've been teaching them yeah, and, and to embrace them and to, you know, seek it out. And Ashton really does have a heart to, to learn and to, um, to, you know, he does a good job of asking questions. And so that, that's been, that's been, a, I think an area for both of us to just yeah um, watch them. Yeah. Watch them grow in that area. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what Isaiah started you know, seeing baptisms in church and kind of going, you know, yeah. what is that? Okay. I think I would want to do that. Like, yeah, let's yeah. You know, talk about it. And that, yeah, it's fun to see them as they start grasping that and processing it. Um, we were, we were talking about the, the communion just recently and um, I've, I've not let them do communion yet just because, you know, I, it, I just want them to know what they're doing when they yeah. do it. Yep. And, and Ashton, again, he's just been asking lots of questions. And so when I sat down to talk to him about it and, you know, what does it mean and all this stuff, I was kind of like, I went into the conversation, not knowing if he would be able to answer. And he had, like, he had, he knew it, like he, he knew what, why it was there and why we do it and all that, all those things. And, and that was just, that was like, really impressive to me mm-hmm. that and, and, and again just another realization of man i have a nine-year-old kid you know like he's he's actually understanding and grasping and dealing with these big concepts of stuff yeah. and yeah that's been fun that's awesome uh so what's last one what do you want what's the story you want your kids to share with their kids about you Um, I think probably the same thing that I say of my dad is in that he he's not perfect, um, but he he loved us well and he loved the Lord. I think that's that's mm. what I I would want my kids to to know. You know, we've we've never been a house where we 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 teach or preach perfection. Um, the kids have seen us fail so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hope they would be able to say, you know, my, my dad, my dad wasn't perfect, but he, he did the best he could, you know, and, and not only in, in raising us, but pursuing the Lord and, and, and the, the ministry and the faith. Yeah. Which I think even, cause I'm the same, that's what I'm trying to teach. Yeah. My kids of the grace, you know, understanding grace and just the um i guess peace that the kids feel of like i don't have to be perfect or when i screw up like you know yeah. i'm not just going to get beaten or yelled at or whatever right. humiliated but i know i can go to dad and mom and say hey this is what you know to where i just feel like you open up so much more conversation and healthiness and but even just for the kids to be able to relax and go it's okay i screwed up you know it's just yeah. So that's, well, no, that's and, and the fruit of the fruit of having that, that type of a 
relationship with your kids. When I screwed up, I, I never, I never like, I mean, I dreaded telling my dad just because I didn't want to disappoint him, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I knew that I knew that, but I never was like scared that I had to tell dad or, or didn't like, I was trying to hide it. Like I just, Mm -hmm. he was always someone that I knew I could go to. Like he wasn't, he was a guy that I knew if I got myself in a trouble or a situation, he was, he was going to help me deal with it first and then teach me about it later. You know, like he was, Mm. and that, that's, I've watched enough other relationships. I think that's, that's a, that's a hard thing to model, you know, Mm -hmm. like, especially when your kids screw up in an area where you're, you've really, you know, tried to teach them it. It's hard to not just like, what the heck were you guys doing? You know, like, and just really get on them for, for stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying that that doesn't come at some point, you know, you want to teach your kids through it, but um, I, I hope my kids never like, just dread coming to me because of not knowing, you know, because I didn't model what it was like to deal with frustration or anger in a healthy way. You know, Mm -hmm. like it was, they weren't that, you know, I I hope my kids are never afraid that, you know, dad's going to hit me or dad's going to do this or dad's going to react this way. or Dad's going to, going to, you know, just completely lose his temper. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's awesome. And I, Danny boy loses temper. I don't even know if he ever gets upset. <laughs> Jeez, come on now. Um, uh, yeah. So just wrapping up, which I, I mean, you obviously know this, but this is, I mean, one that I always <clears throat> appreciate of you and Jenny that not everybody knows that my Genevieve is named after your wife. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. And just seeing you guys and continuing the relationship, like it is encouraging to me and not necessarily, you know, not Jenny's perfect or, you know, whatever. Cause she, I mean, she's a little better than you, but you guys aren't there, <laughs> but for me and just saying to you guys, and I hope she's not listening and doesn't hear this cause it'll go straight oh, to her head. Asleep. Yeah. Um, good. But of that, of going, you know, it is, I love having my kids have someone to look up to, but even just thinking for Genevieve of like, obviously, you know, yes, living for Christ, but to see it lived out in a godly woman, like, hey, this is your name. This is what it represents. And so yeah. I just love it. I love that she's named after your wife and they just, the, yeah, great. I mean, you're pretty great. You're a great man of God. Your wife's a great woman of God. Yeah. And so it's just, I, I love it. I think it's the, yeah, I am so happy that she's named. Genevieve, even though your Genevieve doesn't, does anybody even call her Genevieve? Is it mostly Jenny now? Um, I mean, I call her Genevieve a ton. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we, it was, so Genevieve was always, it was, it was like a mouthful, you know, uh-huh. to, she was yep. little. So she, she went by Jenny when she was little. She, she is trying to go by Genevieve more, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and so I call her Genevieve a lot, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely people who call her Genevieve for sure. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause that's, I mean, G was the opposite of like, no, my yeah. name is Genevieve. Don't no, I remember, me. I remember that about G. Like, yeah. She was, whoa. yeah. Easy, well, my kid. kids found out they were, she was named after, after Jenny. 
uh-huh. they tried to call her Jenny and she, she would oh, yeah. did not have it. Yeah. 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 Dude, the only mistake you made is you didn't name your son after me. And so <laughs> no, that was a good thing. That was <laughs> playing like, okay, let's, there's no way he can misconstrue this, that it'd be okay. Nope. Go as far away as possible. Whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to call him Ryan next time I see him. <laughs> I go, that's fine. You're both a bunch of air. I'm going to just... say, Hey, Isaiah, this is the name that your daddy meant to give you. <laughs> this is what I'm going to bestow upon you that's right. from now on. You are Ryan. <laughs> oh man. He'd be so confused. Wait, what? Yeah, I thought it was what you could. Cause I, he can spell his name. He's got now to where you could trick him, you know, like, no, this is how you spell Isaiah. It's R Y A N. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Although I'm afraid to trick him. He that little guy's a fighter. Just wanted to say thanks for having you on. Appreciate it. And uh yeah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been fun to chat and hang out with you. And yeah, it's been fun. We'll do it in another year or two. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Dad Talks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any episodes.